Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I had a good beard. I had a good beard. My wife, um, gosh, I, I can never remember the actor. The, there's a fame, there's a, a, an actor right now that's quite famous that has a very salt and pepper good beard and she loves him. So I grew my beard out and then I shaved it down for Is it, for is Dallas. it Macaulay Culkin? Really? Really? Like, I don't expect no. anything else from you, Cody. No, it's not Macaulay Culkin. Oh, I haven't seen him lately. He's probably old enough to have a beard now. Yep. Hey, sorry no. this took so long to get together. Um, no, that's all right, man. Not, a, not a problem at all. Everybody, everybody's busy, and uh, yeah. we uh, we persevered and knew that we wanted to do this, and and uh, it, it's done. No, no reason to look back now. Cool. That's right. Um, I have a hard six fifteen. I gotta leave so I can pick up my son from uh, soccer basketball. So just so you guys know, we're kind no, of, we're good. We won't we won't roll that long. We're pretty cool. meticulous on the gets, hour mark. Unless Cody gets super long-winded, I'm drink. I'm drinking water, so everything will be completely abbreviated and professional today. Today, today. Yeah, no doubt. Sometimes I get carried away. That's the truth. Well, Lan Tawny, uh, we are 
exceptionally excited and, and uh, grateful that you could come on our podcast. Um, as you said, you know, we've been trying to get this happened uh, for, for quite some time. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're just happy to have these conversations. You know, we love good people with good discussions that have good hearts behind hunting and that's really what we're about at blood origins is telling the heart of hunting and we had a conversation me and you what was it three years ago yeah yeah that was with the your kind sister of, yeah your sister at ducks unlimited we had yeah. that i don't know cody even knows that conversation happened yeah. i don't yeah that was so, a that was a while ago um but i mean yeah so i mean again thank you guys like i'm more than uh excited to be on the you know on the phone with you guys today Land your um, go ahead, Cody. Yeah, give us the uh, give us like like start a uh, short couple sentences with uh, I began hunting and give us that kind of the land tawny background, not the not the uh, professional resume, the uh, yeah. land tawny grew up here resume. Not that I don't completely respect your prof. I didn't mean for that to come out like eh, he's never he hasn't done anything with his life yet. I didn't mean that at all. Just I want to know your your personal background as much as you're willing to make public. Yeah. So, I mean, I began hunting, uh, before I could pull the trigger, you know, I spent time on my dad's back, um, you know, going across warm water sloughs when we were going to the duck blind, you know, and I was carrying a BB gun, you know, thinking I had like an opportunity with that BB gun. I remember, um, you know, elk hunting with him. We're going up these steep mountain hillsides and every single step he was taking in the snow, I had to take those steps because I was like 10 years old. And if I did not, I would be stuck, like literally stuck in the snow. And so I was literally following in his footsteps going up the hill. So hunting has been a part of my life, you know, since I was, you know, barely able to function. And then, you know, it was part of our, when, my, when I was younger, my dad went to law school. We didn't have a lot of money. And so it was the way we were we were basically feeding the family exclusively was from wild game. And so I remember, you know, the butchering at the house, I remember cooking it. Um, we did steaks and burgers. I don't think we <laughs> did much past that. I think we had like a elk mincemeat pie that my mom would make. Um, but other than that, you know, it was pretty standard fare, but no, it's, it's been a part of my life uh, since as long as I can remember. Land was this in Montana, Idaho? Was it in the West? Was it in the East? Exclusively in Montana. Up? Exclusively in Montana. So I'm lucky to be uh, a fifth generation Montanan. There are folks that have lived many, many, many more generations than me in this state, but I feel pretty lucky to have grown up in this state and then had the background uh, from both my dad's and my mom's side of people that have lived in this state for a long time. So I've been enjoying, you know, all that Montana has to offer for uh, a very long time. Yeah, I'm almost jealous, man. You know, I I wasn't that much of a hunter even when my, my boys were young, you know, to be able to just take them on my back. And, and it, maybe it wasn't – maybe because I wasn't that much of a hunter or maybe I wasn't that much of an experienced hunter to be able to be comfortable with my boys with me. Um, you know, I guess that's, that's the thing. that That's the perspective that I wish I had. I wish I had the the dad that took me hunting – when I was young, like super young and just sort of ingrained it in me, ingrained it in the blood. But I guess, you know, your, your story is written and my story wasn't supposed to be written that way. It's supposed to be written the way that it is right now, in which I came to hunting later, which gives me a unique perspective to what that, that means to me. Um, 
Cody, you grew up hunting too, right? Your dad yeah, was the, I can pretty much the, it, right? The, the BB gun and the duck one. Like, I can remember being scared that I hadn't practiced enough. And I'm talking about the the BB gun the, with the single pump lever action thing that I could probably shoot you from about 25 yards away and it wouldn't go through your shirt. Wouldn't penetrate, yeah. Right, and I can remember, like, did I practice in the backyard enough to take down this Canada goose? You know, and then I don't even think I ever, you know, I never even really shot, but I can remember that. I can remember my dad saying, yeah, you, I mean, like, can I take my, can I take my BB gun, dad? And he, him being like, yeah, grab it. And me thinking that was the, this is the day I'm going to get a goose with this, with this BB gun that at 30 yards, you could probably catch the BB out of the air. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, no, that's, that's funny. I, that my, my dad was really, a, I mean, we, we duck hunted. He did other things. We did other things together, but we were duck hunters. Um, and, uh, a lot of great times in the duck blind. Um, yeah, Cody, I would Land, say, is that I'd, I'd say that, you know, besides the BB gun and like, you know, and the, and just the early mornings, I loved watching those birds get tricked, you know, and that like the sound of the wings and just like the, when the marsh wakes up in the morning and watching the dog go work, like if, I think it's because I grew up, you know, my dad was a big duck hunter too. And it was super accessible. Like people ask me if I could only do one thing, it'd probably be duck hunting. And it's because of that connection, I think, to that past, but also just all the different things you get to do when you're duck hunting that, that you don't necessarily get to do in other kinds of hunting. So um, I don't want to start when I was young, but it's continued. What's that? I don't want to go off on a duck hunting. I don't want, I, I could talk about duck hunting forever, but I think the first thing you said of those ducks being tricked at a very young age, it felt so much more like strategy, like more than any other kind of thing, you know, like we would farm pond fish to me still to this day, farm pond fishing is basically, I throw it as many times as I can and hope something sees it right. Whitetail deer hunting. We did all the work, but then you just set and you just set and you waited in Kansas. Your deer hunting is in a tree stand, right? And bird hunting, it was just, you just walk. I, I love the, the chess game. Probably, I think duck hunters make way, we, we, we meaning me, make way more of it. Like, I, I got to move the decoys. I, yeah. I got to adjust the decoys. And it, it really does absolutely nothing. I think the biggest thing about adjusting duck decoys that leads to success is you get out and move around in the decoys, and that leads to the success, right? So I guided duck hunts for 12 years. and a lot of times they just wouldn't come in. I'd be like, I got to, I got to move the decoys. And I had no idea what the plan was, but the water moving around after I went out there seemed to work sometimes. But that, that's the part I loved was more so than any other kind of hunting I did in Kansas. It was uh, until I really got into turkey hunting, same kind of deal there. It's like, a, it's like a, it's an actual active game of chess and, uh, Anyway, I, I don't want to – I'll see a tangent. I'm going to take us off on duck hunting. thought you were drinking water. Just I kidding. am. That's why I stopped. I wouldn't have stopped if I wasn't. Land, do you um, – uh, this may be a little personal. Are you married, have kids? I'm, uh, I'm married. I've been married for, what is it, almost 20 years now. I've got a 13-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. Are they – are you doing the same things that your dad did with you with them? Totally. I mean, so like there's a picture of me on my dad's back and he's fishing the big old river and I'm like two years old. I have that same picture with my daughter on my back, basically, and the same picture with my son on my back. 
I will say that my daughter at 13, um, she can hunt now. Uh, she has not pulled the trigger on an animal. Uh, she does not like early mornings and the cold. And friends and soccer are the most important things to her in her life right now. And so I would say that that piece that we were kind of talking about earlier, that you wish it had been ingrained, you know, as a, as a young kid, kind of like it was for me and like it was for Cody, that has definitely happened to her and to my son, Colin, but my daughter's gone away from it right now. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. Um, if she ever comes back, I'll be ecstatic. Um, but I will say that the moments that we've had in the duck blind, I mean, my, my dad's ashes are underneath a, a rock where we hunt and she's bloodied, you know, that rock with mallard blood, you know, that we rub on after the, after the hunt. And, you know, those are things that she will never forget. Like she will never, ever forget. It's like a ritual. And so to me, like she's already got that in her. And so her stepping back right now, it's not as big of a deal. But my son, you know, he's 10 now and he's becoming much more mobile. Um, and we'll see how, you know, if, if he stays engaged with hunting or if he drifts away as well. But I'm, you know, with the work that I do and how, you know, it's a constant thing in their lives, I'm trying not to force it on them too much either. Sure, sure. Land, our, our podcast is a very global, we have a very global fingerprint. Uh, Blood Origins itself has a big global fingerprint, more than we expected. I'm, I've been at Dallas Safari Club all day, and my mind has been blown all day with people saying, hey, I know you guys, and this Great. guy's from Belgium, this guy's Great. from Scotland, this guy's from Tanzania. Um, for those who don't know who Lantorni is and what you do, do you want to just give a quick, like, this is who I am, what I do? Sure. So you've heard about a little bit who I am, just kind of the way I grew up, right? Like I would say that's a part of my identity, but um, who I am now or like what I'm doing, I'm the president and CEO for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. You know, we're an organization that works every single day to try to make sure that you have access to public lands and waters and then the quality fish and wildlife habitat when you get there. So mm-hmm. and I've been doing this now for it'll be nine years in May, which is absolutely wow. Time yeah, it's, it's flown. I mean, everybody talks about that, but I think especially when you have kids, you realize how fast time flies. But, you know, we have a great organization of, you know, 40,000 members and almost 800 volunteer leaders across North America that, again, every single day, and there's many nuances to that, but trying to make sure you have access to public lands and waters and then the fish wildlife habitat when you get there. And so, you know, I got a wildlife biology degree in school, worked for the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership right out of school. Then went to work for the National Wildlife Federation, and now I've been here for nine years. And so my 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 conservation career is it's, it's uh twenty two years this spring, which is crazy to me. Again, I'm I'm forty six, but I feel like I'm twenty five. So when I say right. numbers like this, it kind of blows my brain a little bit. Land, is it? I don't know the history of backcountry backcountry hunters and anglers, but did you make it? Was this something that you just came out of the back of your brain and said, this is what I want to do, like Blood Origins? Like one day I was like, Lisa, I think we need to do something. We created this thing. Where did backcountry hunters and anglers come from? So it actually, you know, it came from a conversation around a campfire. So I'm sure both you and Cody have been around a campfire late at night. And, you know, that's when some of the most amazing conversations happen. And the folks that are around that original campfire in Oregon, this was back in 2004, they looked at, you know, the Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, the Mule Deer Foundation, all these species-specific organizations that are doing amazing, amazing work. You know, my dad was involved Great. with the Elk Foundation. Um, and 
and so they do this amazing work. It's mostly fo- focused on habitat, which is great. And mostly focused on private land because that's where a lot of this habitat work happens. Nobody was really focused on public lands and public waters. And so that was really where the idea came out of was let's form an organization and then let's focus, you know, on, you know, those wild places, I would say. So that, that, that back country is really an important kind of piece of our organization. Is, and, you know, that can range from, you know, wilderness areas to roadless areas to a national wildlife refuge to, you know, almost any kind of piece of water that I'm on personally, once I'm on that water, everything else kind of disappears and it becomes, you know, a little piece of backcountry in that place that you can disappear. But I think the mm-hmm. idea that would bind all those landscapes together and bind all the people that we have all across the North America that live in different places and have different customs, it's really about that challenge and the adventure that comes with our hunting and fishing, right? And I think that that idea, you know, if you're in Florida, man, there's plenty of places you can challenge yourself, you know, and, and on public, you know, land hunting or public land fishing. I would say the same thing up in the in the Northeast. Um, you know, a lot of people think of Montana and wilderness right away, but there are you know plenty of places that I hunt here that aren't big W wilderness, aren't wilderness areas, but it still provide me plenty of challenge. And so I think that challenge, um, an adventure is something that binds us, you know, at BHA uh, and wanting to make sure that everybody has an opportunity for that going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the interesting things that I that I I talk about because given where I come from, a lot of people ask, "Well, what's South Africa like for hunting?" You know, what's South Africa's public land? And I said, "There is none. There, there literally is none. Yeah. Like, there's no like. There's there's some some national parks that you can go visit, just like a Yellowstone or whatnot. Um, but there's no public land hunting. Zero zero public land hunting in south africa because we don't have a license system we don't have a tag system we don't and if if there was there would be the the poaching element of it would be well then that's one of the reasons why there's very little wildlife on public areas that are not national parks Mm -hmm. and so that perspective is not lost on me i think that it's one of the the sort of foundational tenets of of blood origins that is i feel like the that's why we fight so much every day because this thing that you have this thing that we have of being able to walk down a public land track road with a loaded weapon doesn't happen anywhere else in the world yeah it's amazing that's uh, I, I i call it the the embarrassment of riches robbie right like you know i mean i, I think you know and if you play that out in South Africa, I'm sure there's plenty of hunting opportunities that that's just not as available to everybody. Right. And so hundred percent. And so the, you know, the idea that we have this embarrassment of riches and anybody can do it. It's pretty amazing. You know, and I think that um, you say something there that we have to fight every single day to keep it. I would say exactly. And when we, we lose it majority of the time, Robbie, we don't get it back. You know, like I think the, mm-hmm. you only have to lose these fights once. And I give you an example, mm-hmm. you know, down in Arkansas, which is not, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, I think right away public land state with Arkansas, but they do have some public land opportunities, especially in the eastern side of the state. And there's a place called Pine Tree that was associated with the Arkansas University of Arkansas. That was like an experimental station that they used for research and stuff. And they were gifted that by the Forest Service way back in the day. Well, they had decided they didn't want to use it for that, that research anymore and um, didn't really take into consideration all the public land duck hunting that was happening there. 
they decided to sell that to a private duck club. And our uh, chapter in Arkansas found out about that and, you know, kind of raised a stink. And um, over six months, I would say, had conversations with the university, but also in the public forum. And ultimately, the university decided not to sell that piece of property. And now we're trying to figure out how can we maybe use land and water mm-hmm. conservation fund funding or something to get that in permanent public ownership. But if the Arkansas chapter had not known that that was going on and then gotten engaged, this would be a much different conversation. We'd be talking about what used to be at Pine Tree versus what could be. No, no, no doubt. And Cody, you remember the whole Mississippi public lands issue that we just tackled. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, uh, what probably would have just happened if, uh, you know, someone and someone let us know, you know, it's really just like me and Robbie trying to get our news feeds to help us on our phones to help us know what's going on. That's our powerful legislative action organization that we have right there. <laughs> um, that's not true. The most powerful thing we have is uh, community you know, now that we've gotten up into a couple hundred thousand people listening to us across platforms um that's the most powerful tool we get them literally multiples every day um which it is one of those things that's really exciting in the beginning when somebody sends you this mississippi thing and then we make a quick video and release it out and fifty thousand people see us and then the mississippi commission changes their mind and then we run into the Mississippi commission folks and they're like, Holy cow. That was a lot of work you created for us with all those calls and emails. That's um, the nice way to yeah. say it. This yeah. is what he said. He said, he smiled at me. He said, he first bumped me. He says, thank you, but I'm not allowed to be seen with you. <laughs> and, but it, and now it's become daunting to me because there's, there's uh the decision of where do you put your time, you know, when literally right. the two of us are doing this thing part-time and, and, and it's, it's literally daily. Um, you know, and I, they're not all, they're, they're all credible in some minds, in someone's mind. They're not all exactly things that we really would want to get associated with or go after, but that's the daunting part now is, is, uh, how do we, how do we, uh, the California bear hunt was another great example totally. where, totally. where, where and I, we by no means were we the only ones or even the very tip of the spear, but we sent a lot of flow that way. On you know this this person gave bunk data to try and yeah. get rid of the bear hunt in in California. And Robbie Robbie has the ability as as a numerous other scientists do to go. Hey, look, scientific data right here. This is not true. What he's saying so. Oh, I'm I'm all about that fight. I'm um and love what uh you know multiple things that I've seen BHA chapters do are uh, exactly w- what needs to be happening. Well, I think you know, Cody. We don't. I mean, we're like the unwashed masses, right? Like we don't have the piles of cash to influence policy decisions. Like I think that Mississippi thing, right? Like with the I'm guessing you're talking about like the the duck clubs and kind of the variant. Yeah, the Mount Mason WMA. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we might not have the money to influence and have, you know, uh, all the connections, but we got the people, right? And so when that, you know, when that fish and wildlife official is coming up and being like, I can't be seen with you and like that, and that was crazy generating all the comments that we got. That's the only thing we have is the voice, right? We got the voice of the people and we just got to, I think, you know, through 
podcasts, through social media, through email, whatever it is, is, is really educating the people and then creating easy ways for them to engage in the process um, is really, you know, that's a full-time job for all of us. And I think, you know, that's, that's uh, exciting to me, but as you were saying, Cody, it's also daunting, right? Like what are the issues that you uh, really focus on and how do you stop from playing whack-a-mole, right? Like there's an issue over there and there's an issue over here and chasing that stuff and really trying to be proactive. And so that, you know, that, that we can be uh, more efficient, I would say sometimes with the, with the use of our time. Don't you, uh, not to, not to be contradictory at all, Yeah. but I, I think that maybe, maybe to be a little bit contradictory, I think that maybe there's a need, this whole thing just formulated in my head. So I'm reserving the right to, to argue with myself in two minutes. All right. Good. I think I kind of like that maybe at this, at, at where Blood Origins is at right now, we are playing whack-a-mole. Because I think there needs to be somebody, like I think this Mississippi thing and the California legislation on the bear ban thing were whack-a-mole things. Yep. And, and I think, here's a total assumption, and obviously you're the guy to correct me. I see BHA on the national level very much doing whatever the opposite of whack-a-mole is (laughs) strategic large scale things i think that maybe the blood origins in the in the in the bha chapters are are whack-a-mole experts let's 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 this we got two days this thing's going to be voted on let's do it let's just quash this and i sometimes think that those are the ones that hunters feel the most helpless on is you know, this yeah. specific deal we're talking about in Mississippi was going to be the loss of 24 acres, Robbie, of a of a 48 acres, 48 acres, excuse me, um, because a private landowner wanted a buffer into public ground, you know, and what yeah. that's just backwards that it's, you know, yeah. and and it, it was a it was a whack-a-mole thing kind of that's the part of it that I kind of like, like we may become aware of something on Tuesday and, and on Friday we won, right? Yeah. Like that, that's about my attention span on an actual political matter, to be honest with you. Um, so I don't, I don't mean that to like argue with your point. I think we need yeah. both. I think we yeah. need high level. It also level- comes with a little bit of being nimble, right? A, a, a blood origins. And I hope we, Cody and I have talked about this. We hope we stay small compact and nimble yep we may have a little bit more money behind us but being that's our forte being able to that you know you call the whack-a-mole but it's almost like pivot we can pivot on a dime and go somewhere else and knock them in the head pivot on a dime whilst the bha and these bigger organizations it's almost like you're not the oil tanker of, of the america but you're a ship that takes a little bit more time to like let's turn and more strategically, you're doing that because that's it's tied to your mission. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, when Cody was talking about kind of like, you know, describing kind of you guys' role, in my head, I kept on thinking both, right? And so, Cody, when you got to that at the end, like, we have to do both, right? And so whether right, that, right. I think, as an organization or Blood or, Origins is that, like, we have to have this ability to be nimble, right? To be able to address these issues when they come up, because if we don't, again, they happen very quickly as that has been described. And then again, as I said before, if we lose those things, we probably don't get them back, right? Like if you would have lost these 48 acres, it'd been, you know, pretty tough to get those things back with the, like who was involved would be my guess. 
And mm-hmm. so there's that piece, but then I think there's the, you know, we get caught sometimes, I think, in that, that whack-a-mole or that nimbleness and just reaction. And we forget to like be proactive and like those proactive things, you know, like they might not be as sexy, right? Like funding, let's say for our state agencies, something they all desperately need is more funding because they don't have enough funding to do the work that they have. That's not real sexy. And it's very proactive what we have to do when something is being taken away, right? Like from folks, whether that's like these, you know, the acres in Mississippi, the pine tree, um, in Arkansas, et cetera, et cetera, people are almost more, they're more uh, apt to act when something is being taken away and it's immediate, right? Then it is like, hey, let's think like five, 10 years down the road and how our agencies could be funded in a better place. And so that we have more wildlife habitat, we have better populations and we have a better idea of what's going on on the ground, right? That's all amazing stuff that I don't think anybody would disagree with. But to spend those five years trying to get there versus like I can get something done in the next three or four days, like Cody, to your you know your point about I think uh, attention span, like those longer term fights are harder to get people to get engaged in. Well, and they're kind of like, uh, I mean, it's kind of like if I called you up and said, "Hey, Land, you want to go fishing this afternoon?" or "Hey, Land, do you want to pack up on a boat and be gone for two months fishing?" Right? Like it's just. <laughs> It's, 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 you, you want both, or I don't know if you do, but I, I want to go, I, I want both. Yeah. But one of them's just, uh, it's just way more commitment on our time. And I, I think time is probably the, not that the things that are taking our time are all viable, but I think time's the biggest resource we give up in a, in a worthless way. And, uh, so it, it's hard, right? It's, it, even more so than than coming up with funding, it's the it's the time and attention of people to pay attention that I think is hard with these things. Totally. I mean, I, I would say, you know, the probably the biggest one of the biggest wins I've been a part of in my life was when the Great American Outdoors Act was passed a couple summers ago, and it had you know the nine hundred million dollars for the Land and Water Conservation Fund in there. That is something that I worked like twenty years of my career on, like literally twenty years of my career on, and like obviously lots of other partners that helped make that happen, but that was a slog. But I would say the education efforts that happened with our membership in particular, that when that bill was getting ready to be voted on, they knew exactly what the land and water conservation fund was the number one access tool in this country. They knew about places, you know, that they had either hunted or had walked their dog or taken their kids to a park. They could speak about it authoritarian, you know, in an authoritative way. And so when they called Congress, like, man, that's how we got that thing done. And that's like that time when they called Congress, we had like a couple of weeks, right? But that education had happened for the five years previous. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of both. And I think, you know, you protect the house, I think has been used, right? You protect the house. We got to think about like, how do you maintain your house? Like you got to do, you know, got to, you got to make sure you got a good roof because if you don't have a good roof, all of a sudden you're going to have leaks and that's going to get into your house and it's going to, you know, like, like get into your wood and then you're going to have to redo the whole house first. Like we have to do maintenance and forward thinking, but we also have to like, I think do the day to day as well. Land. One of the things that I find is sort of personally as the biggest challenge and, and challenge and something that I, that I, I enjoy now pushing a little bit further and you've experienced this a lot is the divisiveness in our community. And it's almost like we've lost the ability for our discussion. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's one of the things Cody enjoys and I enjoy a lot is this idea to have some very good discussions on, you know, with people that have varying opinions and it's okay to have a different opinion than, than me. And it's okay to have a discussion about those opinions. Um, what do you think the divisiveness, where do you think the, this divisiveness in our hunting community comes from? Oof. I know it's a loaded question. It's just it's one a, that I've, I've, well, I've a, struggled with. And I'll ask Cody, I'll, you know, Cody can still answer this too. I mean, it's a, it's a, that's a really broad question. I could probably answer it in many different ways. I think the thing that pops in my, the, the, the first thing that popped in my head, Robbie, was that it's almost like it's external voices or external factors that are creating factions within like the hunting community. And so, you know, it's not that this person and that person really thought that they had a fundamental difference in the first place. It's like almost like somebody on the outside told them they did. And so they got to figure out a way, you know, to argue with that person. So I would say that mm -hmm. the, that's a huge, huge piece of it. Um, you know, and I, we're probably the, the second thing I would say, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll think some more. And again, I'm like Cody right now. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. So please, like I, I may argue with myself in a second. But we're probably experiencing one of the biggest like changes in our country right now, too, that we ever have, you know, and 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 so the divisiveness that's happening on so many other levels is just creeping into hunting because it's happening everywhere else, you know, and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. is it something that we're doing here in the hunting community? Maybe they're having the same divisiveness over, you know, the equestrian community or in the like, you know, I mean, I, I'm serious about that. Right. Like people, like you sure. said, are not having conversations anymore. They are, you know, they're more willing to poke a finger or tell you how right they are than to listen, right? I love that thing you said earlier, Robbie. Like, it's great to talk to people that don't have the same opinion as you do because nine times out of 10, 99 out of 100, you learn something, right? And, like you, and even if you don't agree, you learn where they're coming from and or learn a different perspective and maybe you change your perspective a little bit. So, no, I'm, I, mm -hmm. yeah, the best of this, I, I think there's many reasons, but those are two from my perspective. Cody, what do you think? I, I think that's it. I, I think our country is very divided. Um, you know, whether it's blue, red, and hunters, we seem to get into East. You know, hunters, we found 411,000 ways to be divided, right? If the, the, mm -hmm. It's not just rifle versus bow. bow. It's what kind of bow and what kind of rifle. And I, I, I truly believe in, to some extent that and I, I don't know what this is credited to, but like I see somebody on, on a, on social media or a website or a, an article somewhere that shot a great big deer. Like I'm happy for them. Like, like I truly am. And I'm, I'm just, I'm like excited. I'm like a kid. And for some reason, there's a whole bunch of people who who their who jealousy I think wins out over that like joy for another human being and I don't mean to sound all I mean I can be a mean angry person I'm not really this this uh this kind-hearted guy that I sounded like right there but I'm I'm excited about the fact that somebody outsmarted that big elk right somebody 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 was successful um and we've and some of this is a byproduct of the internet not not just social media, but the whole internet is a, a lot of people just start Google searching to find out if that person had a speeding ticket in 1981 
to to point you know like this is why this is what he this is you know and like here's a here's an example that ties to to land is i i think bha has brought first of all i moved to colorado three years ago and honest to goodness probably about a half of a percentage of my time before that was hunting public ground like i just my family had knew a lot of people in kansas i hunted a lot of private ground in kansas um and so i'm I'm now very much a i mean it's the opposite now i have 40 acres that's the private land that i get to hunt on and all the rest of it is public um but th- that's that's crazy, right? I, I think BHA brought this huge awareness to public land, kind of brought about a good pride. BHA and several other things that happened brought about this good pride in being a public land hunter. And then I think about seven of those people that bought off on that decided to start bad-mouthing private land hunters, right? Mm-hmm. Not, I, I'm saying seven, like a very small percentage. Yeah. I know a lot of public land hunters who would be freaking excited to get on some of these private ranches that we stare over and there's no animosity and they're happy for the people that get on there. But this, you know, and then private landowners shoot back and East versus West and tree stand versus I got to hike back in 12 miles. And some of that stuff actually gets nasty. Yeah. Um, and man, it, that's the, that's one of these things that we talk about that just doesn't, I don't have that kind of time or energy to be upset at some guy who's doing a completely legal and ethical thing that's different than the way I do it. And, and, uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I don't uh, have time. I, I just don't have the energy. I'd rather just sit and do nothing than be upset at that person for, you know, using a crossbow out of a tree stand while I'm using a traditional bow hiking at 8,000 feet in public land. I have no animosity towards that person um, or the time to do it, but man, there is a freaking bunch of it out there. Um, And I, I think there's some jealousy. I take guided hunts and guided fishing trips whenever my wife agrees that it's a good move as far as, as far as timing. Right. Um, But I also have trudged through some waters that I'm now convinced there's never been trout in on public ground because I can't find the damn things and chased elk in areas where there may have never been an elk ever because I couldn't find a turd um, on public ground. But I I don't, I don't really get it. I think it's kind of sad. I think a lot of it is misinformation um, I think a lot of it is jealousy, and I think a lot of it is like uh, I think a whole bunch of it is joking. You know, like if Robbie went on a pri- on a guided hunt, and I'm like, "Oh, you lazy, rich, blah blah blah," and it was just a joke, but then Robbie actually gets pissed and fight. You know, I think a whole bunch of it is that that mm-hmm. it's not real. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I want to keep having these conversations. We've, we've been having these kind of conversations on a regular basis. Like, why are we all fighting? Why are we all not? And I hate the word all, I shouldn't have used all, but why is this fighting happening? You know, why is that going on? And uh, I, I think that's the only solution to it is to keep talking, to keep bringing people into the conversation that have different perspectives and go, Oh, that dude, 
seems like a pretty good guy that I might want to have a beer with. Maybe I shouldn't hate him because he hunts from a saddle, you know, or what, whatever, the, <laughs> whatever the thing is. Um, and then, you know, go do something outside instead of typing all that vitriol on, on, on the internet. Just go, I mean, go walk around or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's something though, I think, you know, and back to like Robbie, like talking to people that you don't necessarily share all the same kind of uh, ethos with, like even, you know, I've been accused of like, I'm a, I'm a private land hater, you know? And I, and like, you know, Robbie, when you're talking about, you know, we were talking about public lands earlier, you know, and like, or the way you just talked about it, Cody, like, you know, I got my 40 acres now, but I'm hunting on public land all the time. We talk about in this big grandiose way, kind of, it does not, I had to, I think when some when I really got you know, that feedback from somebody that was close to me. It's like, man, I'm not saying that, but I can see how it could be perceived like that. Right. And so like, you know, you started talking about, I start talking about the interface of private lands and public lands. And I mean, I hunt and I grew up in Montana. I know a lot of like ranchers and farmers. We have an amazing block management system here for public access to private land. Like I hunt a lot of private land. My job is around public land. And so I talk about it a lot and I experience that a lot, but I think you know, sometimes when you hear that feedback too, Cody, like where somebody's pissed at you, it's like, where's that coming from? And if you can sit, if you can get past the initial, I'm going to go punch him in the face because he's talking shit about me and like really think about maybe how you're being perceived. It's not how you want to be, you know, perceived, but how you could be being perceived. And so I, I know that for me that um, I've, I've had a conscious thought about that or conscious thoughts about that. There's going to be an article that comes out of this podcast that is Land Tawny, private land hunter. <laughs> Which is, is absolutely true. You know, I mean, the spot, the spot where my dad's like rock is, it's a, it's, a, it's a private duck refuge, right? And it's where my dad's ashes are. And I hunt there like once or twice a year so I can go say hi to my dad. But that's not on public land. Like, you know, like it's a, it's a fairly exclusive yeah. little spot. And so to me... Yeah. You know, like Cody said, like, I'm not going to hate on somebody because of their experience. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing and um, maybe we should all just like try to be more positive, but I don't think like that's pretty Pollyannish. I think whether it's always going to be yeah. that, that negative stuff, but it's how you, what you do with that negative stuff probably. Yeah. I think honestly, uh, to, to Cody's point on the jealousy part, I think it's innate. I think it's instinctual from a hunting community from back in the day, dragging freaking meat back to the fire and. Everyone looking at you all from a men a manly perspective. The guys looking at you going, "Oh, I'm not that guy," and he's about to get all the women around the fire. His choice of woman and his choice of meat, and I'm jealous, you know. And that's just part of us. That's how we we freaking live for thousands of years. How do we think that that instinct is not still in us? Yeah, that that thing that hate that jealousy is there. Yeah, but don't you think um, that guy around the campfire just went out went out and hunted harder the next day? And didn't go like draw a cave painting of the other guy with big ears or something. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We we have too much time on our hands. And I'm not I'm not here to tell you that I don't get jealous. That I don't go like, damn, I wish that was me. I do that Instagram does that shit to me on a daily basis, right? And sometimes it's super local. It's twelve miles away on the Ark River and somebody's holding a 24 inch rainbow and i'm like i'm sitting here typing an email that robbie told me to do you know i'm pissed right but i don't go i don't i don't go after that person you know yeah. and in, innately i'm excited for them 
innately I'm excited that someone caught trout in that spot and was dumb enough to label the 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 pull off that they were at because I'm going back after that trout. But I I don't think that those cavemen around the camp the jealousy's there. But just go hunt, go hunt right. instead of instead of bad mouthing and attacking them. Mm-hmm. Now that being said. I'm hugely in favor of voicing opinions against things that are illegal or unethical or an attack on hunting. I'm not saying we should all just mind our own business because that's counterproductive as well with some of the things that happen. Um, But the, uh, you know, the, the arguing about, about whether or not you walk around the mountains or sit in a tree stand. I, I, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do is unfollow on like, I, I bet 40% of my time on Instagram is unfollowing people because I'm like, I don't need this business in my, in my head right now. Mm-hmm. Land to your, to the, the other point that you made of like people not recognizing that they're actually closer than they think. And they're getting forced by these external pressures that you're supposed to be different. I think the best example of that is a vegan versus a hunter mm-hmm. in that a vegan and a hunter, when you cut to the core of what they want, they want healthy, sustainable wildlife and when pointed out that that's what you want vegan and hunter you want the same thing you're like whoa okay we just happen to achieve that goal in two different ways yeah yeah are there is there that place for these these finding that common ground though right you know and i think that you know podcasts in particular have these long form we can have a conversation we're living our lives in 160 characters or memes, right? And like that that's the way people are getting their information in a lot of ways. And that's what they're reacting to. And so the point about the vegan, you might never even get to that part of commonality, right? Because you just like you just don't have the time or like the energy to get there. And that, that's that's no, important. I think though freaking Rogan has has proven yeah. the conversation model. Yeah. Three and a half hour conversation yeah. that is pulling eleven million in gay people watching it on a weekly basis, outstripping fourfold the next nearest conversation. But that, so that's entertainment, Robbie, right? And that people can listen to that. For those same people that are spending three and a half hours to listen to Joe Rogan talk about whatever, would they spend that energy in talking to somebody that didn't see eye to eye with them? I would probably say no, right? Like that, like it's really easy to listen to a podcast versus be engaged y- yourself, right? Like you have to, like you have to have some sort of vulnerability in a conversation like that if you're going to have have a real conversation versus just a talking at, right? I agree. I will say if we, Blood Origins, Land Tony, Cody Heitschmidt, are having those conversations that people are listening to, yeah. What we're doing is we're planting seeds in their brains in which they're like, oh, I can feel a little bit more confident when a vegan challenges me to say, instead of being that, I'm going to punch him in the nose, mm-hmm. step back and say, hey, I remember Robbie talking or Cody saying, they, they're after the same thing you're after. Yep. Um, so why don't you ask that question and ask them, you know, why would you have a problem with me going after, you know, hunting and taking an animal where I knew how it lived, it lived the most ethical life it could possibly, not that's, terrible it lived the most ethical life it led, led the best life it possibly could lead maybe um, i took it really morally devoid devoid deer it was a horrible deer yeah, yeah that's, that's I what i look for i look for those deer with tats right. you know right right right, right. right. smoking a cigarette 
<laughs> oh man. The um I know I can't I can't do like I can't make a single mistake on these podcast land without Cody just like mm-hmm. stepping in. It's perfect. It's what it's I need. So I should have I should have let the wildlife living and ethical life stay. I should have not brought that up and mentioned that. That's what you're saying. This would be no, this would be I'm an not. awesome thing, and I think we should do this at BHA and like like and, and, and act real serious about it and see if people think that we're being serious about t- only taking unethical animals. Right. I think right. you. We should have a seminar. Seminar of taking. We need. We're going to teach you how to find how those to find unethical them, yeah. animals. How to identify? Yes. <laughs> and best places to find them. Best places to find them. These are your urban deer that are hanging out in the corner. <clears throat> Look. Look at what we've started. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great T-shirt, at least. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. No, I, it, it's those seeds. It's the seeds. It's the information. It's it's being able to give that person that confidence to say, you know what? Mm-hmm. I think I can have a discussion. Totally. Yeah, I, I couldn't what? agree more. I also think that there's a, there's a real problem with uh, – I like to look – I like to look at organizations and people on an action by action basis. And, and um, I, I think that's another thing that, that's, that happens, right? That's another, like this organization or this person did this one thing five and a half years ago. That doesn't, doesn't eliminate all of the other things that they did in my assessment of them, right? It may very well mean I don't want to be friends with them. It may very well mean I don't want to be a member of the organization, but it doesn't make the, and just because I disagreed with this thing doesn't mean that, that everything else is, there's a real tribalism happening. Um, So much of it wrapped around politics. Um, And, you know, we, we get, we get so, ingrained in that i've i've completely punted on it in an unhealthy probably uh, ignoring my responsibilities as an american kind of way that i just don't want anything to do with it anymore um it's it's why i like whack-a-mole right it's why i like california's about to ban bear hunting what what hunters are not going to jump on that when when we have the data right it's not it's not going to be an r versus d red versus blue whatever argument um, those are the ones I look for, and it's totally out of a selfish mindset of the other ones. The, the, the politicized, tribalistic ones drive me crazy. Yeah, that I, Cody, I appreciate you saying that. And you know, I, I, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about like my friends, you know, that I grew up with. Like, we don't agree on 100% of the same things. And like, there's some things that they do that totally bother me, but like 80%, like I'm good with that. You know, like I'm pretty good with that. And I can let the other 20% that, you know, either I won't hang out with them every single day, you know, and then so when I hang out with them, it's, but I I just kind of let that go because I love the 80% about them. Right. And so I let the other 20% go. And so I think that, you know, whether that's people or organizations, um, you know, it's important to think about, you know, the body as a whole. So I appreciate you saying that. And it's okay to disagree, right? It's okay to disagree. And if, you know, if you're a hundred percent all the time, then I'd question that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then anything else on your heart? Hold on. I got a question. We... I got a question. You got a question. Go ahead. Yeah. Lamb, what was, uh, I'm going to screw something up badly, but I, I'm a hundred percent relying on you to fix it. <laughs> 
was it the great isn't there what was the act that's completely funded by like offshore oil fees or something <laughs> help as i stumbled that was that the yep. great american outdoor what was the you know what i'm talking about i do so and and it's so the great american outdoors act which was passed uh, two summers ago, um, had two components to it. And the first component was full and dedicated for the full and dedicated funding for the land and water conservation fund. Land and water conservation fund was actually established in 1964. And this is when oil and gas leasing in the Gulf of Mexico was really starting to ramp up. And so at that point, senators from both sides of the aisle said, okay, we're going to be taken away from one resource. What can we do to give back, you know, as we're taken away? And so they started the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which has now been used in every single you know, county in America that is the number one access tool and also probably one of the number one conservation tools as well. So that had been woefully underfunded and it was authorized at $900 million. It only been, been funded once at that level. My job, you know, majority of my job in that 20 years before we got it fully passed was to try to just get any kind of money for it, right? And that, and that was about $300 million. So the Great American Outdoors Act basically said, you've been authorized at 900 million. You got to spend the 900 million every single year on land and water conservation fund. You cannot keep, you know, doing it by a third, like a third's not enough. A half is not enough. Like we have to get full and dedicated funding at $900 million. So that money comes from excise taxes, basically off of oil and gas is being developed. New oil and gas is being developed in the Gulf of Mexico. The other part of the Great American Outdoors Act was to pay for uh, backlog of maintenance on our public lands in this country. Um, so estimates are around $20 billion that we have in backlog of maintenance. So this isn't like new roads. This isn't new facilities. This is this is all just to, to keep you know what we've got in working order. So that's like about $20 billion. The Great American Outdoors Act uh, funded $9.9 billion of that, so about half. And, and so that... That, again, came from oil and gas development. So it's this marriage. And some people are like, well, now you're going to have to have oil and gas development, you know, to have conservation over here. And I'm like, well, is oil and gas development stopping anytime soon? <laughs> you know, it's not. And and why wouldn't we listen to those back in 1964 that had the foresight that we're, we're taking from one resource, let's give back to another. And so I think that idea is conservation, really, in a nutshell. Um, but that was the Great American Outdoors Act. Um, and then underneath that was the Land and Water Conservation Fund that now is, has full and dedicated funding at $900 million every year in perpetuity. And and just just to be clear, because I try to look at these things. You're, you're not going to remember this at all. But before I even joined Blood Origins, you actually we actually had an Instagram conversation where you posted something and I was like, where's the funding coming from deep down inside? I'm a pretty conservative guy. Um, quasi, you know, like 55%. I wish the government would just leave me alone. Kind of guy, not, not full nut job, but heading that way as I get older, your, Um, your words, your words. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'll, I'll be proud of it when I am, but none of that money is tax dollars right now granted it probably raises the price of someone could make an argument about the price of oil and gas because there's a tax or an excise tax on that but all that money's coming from private corporations right absolutely and it's like pre that's i mean again like it, you could say that it's maybe being added on at some other point but yeah that's 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 money that the taxpayers wouldn't see otherwise 
And where would you, you said earlier that state agencies need more funding. Yep. I'm going to seem contradictory here, but I'm not. But if, if I say, like, what are they underfunded at? It's great. I know, <laughs> easy so, question. Just a couple word answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the, that where, I mean, if I had to like really shorthand that they're underfunded in, in species that are not hunted. And so when you think about all the other species that make up a community that are vitally important, not only to that biological community, but I would also say um, to our experiences in the outdoors, right? Like when, uh, when a kingfisher catches that fish, dives while you're duck hunting, catches that fish sideways in its mouth and flips it up in the air and catches it as it's flying by, that experience, like I, I don't know if I want to duck hunt without those other animals and other bird species out there, but they're woefully underfunded. And so what happens is that we don't know anything about those species. And so they can become endangered very quickly. What happens when a species goes in danger? They go on the endangered species list. That creates regulations and a lot of uh, red tape and, and more money, right, to try to save that species. If we would have spent the money on the front end, right, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, we could have kept those species out of the emergency room. And so that is one huge area that our wildlife agencies are underfunded. We, they do a very good job on elk and deer and antelope. I mean, all the species that we chase around. Now, I would tell you the agencies would probably say, well, we could use a little bit of money over here to do this on those species. But those species, by and large, I think are pretty well taken care of. It's a species we don't chase around that aren't. And, uh, and there's many reasons why I think that we need to fund them. Where's, where's the thought process? Again, the, the fiscal conservative just sneaking out on me here. Yep. I'm, I'm open to a good answer. Where, where does that money, like to be totally contradictory, are you saying that we should skyrocket? I know you're not. Okay. Are you saying we should skyrocket hunting and fishing license fees and tags to get them more money? Where's that money come from? It's great. So um, I have a couple thoughts on that, and this will be really interesting for you, for you guys to think about, especially the first one. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this and then see what you guys think. So the first piece of that, and this is super controversial, but we have excise taxes that come off of firearms. We have excise taxes that come off of ammunition, fishing equipment, and bow equipment, right? You guys are well aware of Fitman Robertson dollars. Folks that hike, bike, kayak, none of them none of them are paying into that system through excise taxes. They might be paying to a conservation organization. They might be, you know, supporting their local land trust. But there's not this systematic way. And so this idea of a quote unquote backpack tax, I like to call it a outdoor opportunity fund. But you want to talk about the money that we could generate for trails, for wildlife, like restoration, wildlife, habitat improvement, what Pittman Robertson generates, you know, at 12% around, you know, 10 to 12%, we could, we could do like a 1% on backpacks, skis, like, I mean, name the outdoor kind of gear. And that's where that money could come from. Now, the controversy side of that piece, I would say is twofold. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. It's one from the companies, right? They're like, we can't afford it. You know, we're, like we're, we have, we have huge taxes already. Um, and like we, we'd have to charge, you know, instead of three hundred dollars, we have to charge five hundred dollars for that that backpack. So that's their first piece that they talk about. Um, and then the second piece of controversy is from the hunting side, and they're like, "Do we really want their voice?" You know, like right now with us paying license fees, us paying excise taxes, we kind of got the bully pulpit, right? Like we can kind of we have mm -hmm. more of an influence on how those dollars are used and how those wildlife species are managed in theory, 
my point, like, well, I'll, I'll stop there and see what you guys think about just like the idea of this, this opportunity, kind of outdoor opportunity fund slash backpack tax. I think that I'm a fan of it. Um, I'll always admit my ignorance, so I'm not 100%. In the state of Colorado, we have state wildlife areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe two, maybe three years ago, it was passed that you had to have a hunting or a fishing license to be on that, those pieces of property. Now, since then, you know, so that, I don't want to be nasty. It's a, it, 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 since then, there's now a pass to go on those properties that you don't have to buy a hunting or a fishing license, which is kind of bureaucratic political correctness in my part. Just buy a fishing license and don't fish if you're against it. But I, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I don't think that I, – I guess I would want to look at the data of the numbers. You know, I don't think that uh, – I'm I'm a fan of the backpack tax. I, I am. I think there's a uh, group of people who are enjoying the exact same lands that I am. And just because we're doing different activities, I understand their argument that I'm potentially doing a, uh, what's the word where I take something. You're a consumptive user. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a consumptive user, but at the same time, walking around all over the national parks is consumptive as well. It's not, it's not, I mean, you're, 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 you're leaving a human presence there, no matter how much you try to leave only footprints and take only pictures. Um, I get the, the losing the complete control of the pulpit. Um, but I think we still have enough of us. I don't think it's going to compare to the dollars that that Pittman Robertson and licensing and tag fees are contributing, right? I don't. Oh, I think it would outstrip it. I think it would way outstrip it. Well, that would obviously was... all be based on a percentage type. I mean, if, if if you did a one percent, I don't know. I don't know. I would want to see those numbers. I'm just looking. Look at the numbers. Look at the people. The amount of people that are engaged in that would be engaged in a back tax tax versus the people that are engaged in hunting. It'd be tenfold more people. Hundredfold more. You're people. saying, Land, do it at the retail cash register and not a permit or tagging basis. I mean, I so think about like we all have to have duck stamps to hunt waterfowl. Where does that money go? That money goes to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to manage national wildlife refuges and to help purchase more national wildlife refuges, right? Why aren't birders like if I get stopped on a national wildlife refuge and I do not have my federal duck stamp, I'm in big, big trouble. That 25 bucks that I pay. Why couldn't you when somebody's only got if that, you have your sh- only if you have your shotgun on you? Yes. Right. If you yes. don't, you're yes. not. Yes. Yes. But why? If, if, if there was a birder there with some huge, gigantic telephoto lens, you know, and they're taking pictures and, you know, whatever, have the binoculars around their neck. I think they should have to have to have their stamp as well. And and so, like, I think there's different ways to cut that. But no, I'm, I'm talking more with this backpack tax, definitely at the cash register. But things like the duck stamp, I think, are things that we should consider. I think to your point, Land, about the giving them a voice now. Yeah. I think it's a risk. It's obviously a risk analysis, right? Because immediately our mind goes to what's happened, say, in Washington State, where appointed commissioners are anti-hunting. They're plainly anti-hunting. Whereas 
again, you know, to what we Cody and I typically say, we think there's, you know, there's three sectors of the population, anti-hunters, non-hunters, and hunters. And those non-hunters aren't negative one way or another or positive one way or another to hunting. Yep. And so I think you're going to get a lot of those people probably represented on a wildlife commission board versus the antis. And those are the kinds of people that are like, you know, they that have more of a demeanor that is show us the science, show us what this is for and what it would do and how it's going to help the places that we love. Um, there's a risk there. Of course, okay. there's a risk. I, just, I like the idea of them having a vested interest, right? Like yeah. talk to any hunter, hunters in particular, anglers, not so much, but any hunter, they're so proud of Pittman Robertson dollars, right? Like, I mean, it's just like, it beams out of them. And what's awesome about that is that they are part of a system, right? Like all Americans right mm -hmm. now to manage our, you know, federally managed public lands, we're probably paying about two bucks a piece, $1.50 to $2 mm -hmm. a piece. So we're all paying into it. But if you're paying, you know, an extra dollar on that $100 backpack, and they're advertising to you that that's going to go back to, you know, the places that you love, your vested interest, I think, gets a little bit higher. And so I would, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's my biggest fear, right, is that, maybe not my biggest fear, is that, you know, this experiment, this conservation experiment that we have in this country, the modern kind of conservation experiment, like that the lack of connection to the land creates this, you know, that like this is just an experiment that doesn't last far into the future because people are not connected. They don't have that vested interest. And so right away... Mm -hmm with that kind of tax, like when I'm, when they're paying into it, I would think and done right that they would have that same passion for the outdoors that all of us have. You know, the reason why the anglers aren't beaming out of their chest, because, you know, why would you be beaming about Dingle Johnson's, right? Let's be honest here. You know, it's just, just the name is not so 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 the, the, the great man that mr dingle was like you you would have made fun of him to his face i love it <laughs> just don't like saying dingle <laughs> dingle johnson and you add the johnson yeah, fair, component to it fair, just like Come on, the two together yeah. hey also well, re let, really quickly because i know robbie's going to keep trying to end this and i'm not, I, i'm aware of your hard stop yeah robbie's robbie's all wrapped up about this one hour thing and we're at 103 i'm going to keep pushing Give me the give me the bullet points as a guy that that uh, really d despises the politics of all of this stuff, but does care. Um, what's coming in twenty twenty two at that national level? Like, what are your and and that what what are your national level concerns um, that we want hunters to be more aware of? I mean, I, also, and then finish it off with, does BHA have a stance on trail cameras? Just because we might as well get controversial a little bit. Um, so lots to talk about in like 11 minutes if we got that left. And I'll try to go like, it's like so I think at a, at a federal level, like this idea of other species, there's a bill right now called the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. It's got in the Senate, I think, and don't totally quote me on this, but it's got, I think, 19 Republicans and 19 Democrats that are supportive of it. This is, again, for these to keep the common species common, I would say, and then these uncommon species out of the emergency room, because once they go in the emergency room, just all sorts of um, problems are associated with that. Um, I would say implementation of the Great American Outdoors Act. So we've been, you know, we've, we've talked about that a little bit tonight. This huge opportunity that's in front of us, the $900 million every single year, this $9.9 .9 billion of backlog maintenance money that we have, 
that has to be used appropriately. And if the people aren't engaged, it's going to be used for things that aren't necessarily great for hunting and fishing. And so I think we, the people, have to stay engaged in that that whole fight. Um, corner crossing, I don't know how much you guys are watching what's going on in Wyoming. Oh, God, yes. We got to hit – I know we got – I'm sorry to interrupt. I hate people that interrupt. But give me a – give me a uh, – Give me a corner crossing. Give me give me sixty seconds on corner crossing. This, this shit drives me nuts that it's even a discussion. So for those not, that are listening, like around the world or even here in the United States that might not understand this issue, is think about a, a a checkerboard, right? So black and red, black and red. Let's say that the black is public land and the red is private land. There's a it's 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 very unclear if you can go from black to black without trespassing on that red land that 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 red square right so even though i'm not physically stepping on either one of those reds i'm going from black to black my shoulders are violating kind of that airspace and so this has been a controversy god as long as i've been working in this space so 20 plus years because there's checkerboards all across the West in particular, because that's the way it was settled. And railroads in particular were given every other section. So there's these, it's like private, public, private, public. And so that means here in Montana, my home state alone, there's 2 million acres of public land that is inaccessible. The majority of that is not donated by private land. The majority of that is in this checkerboard situation. And so, you know, if you explain this to a kid, they get it right away and they're like, why can't I go from red to red? And like, we're all carrying around these Onyx on our phones now. We know exactly where we are pretty much. Or there's a pin, you know, because it's a section. We can get down to like where we're not violating anything. And quite frankly, I think that, that you know, a solution potentially here is that sportsmen pay for walkovers, you know, if there's fences or whatever it is. But the idea is that there's, I mean, back to you, Cody, is that it, it's there's a lot of ambiguity if it's legal or not. Um, and there's a lot of ambiguity whether people want to enforce it or not. And so that's being tested right now, in particular in Wyoming. But every single state has a little bit different, um, which is unfortunate. But, you know, we're trying to figure out the best way to approach this um, and so that you get long-term solutions. And some of those long-term solutions could be utilizing the Land and Water Conservation Fund to do easements or little teeny mini purchases, you know, on all these little corners. Like that would not... Then the landowner is getting paid, which is important here. They feel like there's a takings that's happening. And then, you know, the public gets access to their land. So it could be a win-win, but we'll see what how, where it goes. But um, has, huge controversy. Has, has anyone contemplated swaps? Yeah. This is what I want to do. I want to just go and be like, I want the federal government and Joe Rancher yep. to get together and go, would you just take that 640? We get this and we just create. And is that stupid? Like to me, that seems Not. like it should be happening. Now I know that at one point this rancher is going to have some pasture and this is all going to be rocky crap and he's not going to want to do it. And I do not want the government to force him to do it. But sure. if they're willing, if they're willing, someone should be having that conversation because it's, this sounds like this is one of the dumbest things from, from back. I look at this and go, what the hell? There's gotta be a, this stupid that we're even talking about this. There should be a fix. But there's a shitload of them, man. And Onyx is what made me realize that when you go to Onyx and you're like, what drunk bastard decided that this is the way they should give the land to the railroads? Yeah. But and I don't know. I don't I don't want to draw it out and get past our time limit. But that's a crazy one to me that, my God, I hope we come up with a solution because two million acres in Montana, there's four questionable million access yeah. right in one state is not some 
you know, it's not some weird little thing that some guy's pissed he can't get over here. It's a big damn deal that hope there's got to be an easy solution to. So there's a the swap. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, go ahead, there's man. a there's actually this is a mouthful, but it's called the Federal Land Transaction Facilitation Act. That's exactly what that actually does. And so this is where the federal government has a piece of property that they don't feel like you know is provides the qualities for connectivity, whatever the reason they want to get rid of it. They want to divest. So they sell that public land. Instead of that going into the national treasury, it stays in this account so they can look for other opportunities to help block up land, right? And so the, like to your point, they're, they're swapping out. Now, a lot of the swaps have to be watched, right? It's either, you know, it's, it's like swaps that work are good for everybody. Swaps that, that usually are proposed are really good for somebody and not good for somebody else. And so you have to stay vigilant on what these swaps look like. Um, but there's it's 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 there, you know, to engage in. And so that's one of the solutions, I would say. But that does not solve everything. And it takes a long time to get those things done as well. Well, it also takes a long this, time giving... to build land bridges to two million acres at 640 acres of whack, too. I mean, I think there should be 15 solutions happening. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. OK. I'll tell you this, though. The land acquisition game, especially when you get into the federal government, is a titanic oil tanker to make one land acquisition occur. You're talking 12 to 18 months of bureaucratic nonsense to just... Everyone thinks land acquisition is, is so, so simple. It should be so, so simple. Yeah. It is probably the most complicated piece of restoration work that can happen at a federal level. Yeah, but I'm saying that the Department of the the Secretary of the Interior should go to Montana and just stand on a fence line with the landowner and go, "You good?" And if 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 they say no, then go to the next one. I tell you right now, I'll fight as hard as hell for the federal government to take their land or force them to do something they don't want to do. But I think it's 640 acres at a, a crack to get to two million acres. Fly the Secretary of Interior out there and just walk around, get on a horse or something, and be like, you good? Let's swap. And then just sign something. It should be that damn easy. I, um, I wish it was that damn easy. Um, I know. And Cody, part of the reason why it's not, and I don't necessarily fault these private landowners, but when they bought that ranch, part of the selling like 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 points of, 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 of that ranch when they bought it was that you have this land that is not yours, but it basically is yours because nobody else can get to it. Right. And so like, there's some, and that's generational sometimes. Right. And so these aren't easy things to unpack. I will say Robbie that yes, it's hard to get land deals done, but now with the land and water conservation fund being fully funded at $900 million, instead of like 50 projects fighting for like two or three of them to be approved, now we're going to have so much more money so we can maybe do more of these things. And so that they don't take as long one, but the, also we can approve more of them. And so that's, you know, that's a huge priority for us. It's just implementation of the great American outdoors. Act. Last question. Yeah. BHA pro against <laughs> trail camps. Me? Oh, trail camps. thought you were saying this like, if, am I for BHA or against? I think trail cams, like we've had a lot of internal conversations about this. Uh, we're against um, the use of live action game cams during uh, hunting season. Um, and we're against uh, the sale of like uh, information that comes from cameras. Uh, we think that's uh, not fair chase at all. 
um, or at least, you know, cutting out like a lot of hard work. And so other than that, you know, I mean, we have members um, that use trail cams all the time. It's information and where, you know, it's it's legal in states like we're totally fine with it. But those other two pieces, I think if you're if you have a live action game camera, not that, you know, I think reality here probably doesn't work, but you've got your buck on your stand and your, your house, you can run out there and go shoot it. You know, that doesn't feel very fair chase to us. Um, and then selling those points, man, like that, that to me, I just, I don't even get that that's a thing that people want to buy, but they do because it's a shortcut. And, um, we think that, that, that is just a deterioration, I would say of, of our hunting culture. Um, well, then um, that wasn't too controversial. Oh, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> no, and I, I think I agree with you. I do, I do think that the trail cam itself is got a, like the, I'm talking about the, I got to walk. I have nine on my 40 acres and it takes me five and a half hours to check them all. I live in some pretty nasty terrain yep. um, and I about die every time because I'm not in good shape, even though I live in the mountains. Um, but it, I, I think that's, I think that's a thing that is engaged hunters in a way that they weren't before. And uh, I like those, but I agree with you on the other two points. Yeah. Lantoni, you, thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. I know that you're about to jump off and, um, We'll need to do it again. We like these kinds of discussions. Robbie, let's uh, let's make sure that it doesn't take as long uh, this last time. Thank you for the persistence. Um, one thing I guess I would leave you guys with, it's kind of been a theme today, is that whether you agree with BHA, whether you disagree, whether you agree with something that the Fish and Game Commission does, whether you don't agree, stop bitching and get into the game. You know, like this world is run by those that show up. And I think there's another way to say it, like either on the you're either on the menu or you're at the table. Let's continue to be at the table, you know, and I think that as long as we continue to um, actively listen and actively use our voices, then this amazing opportunities that we have here in uh, North America and more specifically in the United States, it will continue far into the future. But it's only if we stand up and like show up. Right. None of what we have was was done by accident. And so none of what we have going forward is going to be done by accident either. And so, you know, through podcasts like this, uh, through information from BHA, let's find out, you know, the best science. And then, damn it, we got to get involved. We have to get involved. And again, we we may not win all the time. We probably won't. But let's show up, man. Let's show up. And and, and if we do that, I have great confidence uh, uh, in the people um, and then in our conservation legacy moving forward far into the future. Well said. Agreed. Cool. Thanks, Lance. Hey, thank you, guys. And, and uh, enjoyed it. Um, and uh, again, let's do it again. For sure. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. <laughs>